and wine. And each one of those emphasized the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about when he was born, that's significant. Where he was born, very significant. How he was born, so very significant. And why? Oh, folks, i got to tell you, that's extremely significant. So this morning, I'd like to go through, we'll start with that series again, and we're going to go over during this uh, Christmas season. But I'm going to change it up just a little bit. For this morning, I'd like to start with the how. The how God himself, God incarnate, came in the flesh, God with us. And I want us to emphasize the virgin birth. The next week, we're going to talk about the where and then when and then, so importantly, why he came. When you look at how Christ came, what you see is the importance of the virgin birth. You see why it was so important that the Lord Jesus Christ be the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. How could Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, how could he come and not be under the law of sin and death? How is that possible? To be a son of Adam, to be part of Adam's race, means that there is that sin condition. So what miracle, what marvelous miracle took place in order for God himself to be born of a woman, born of the seed of woman, and be the great debt payer, the one who paid the debt that I owed. The virgin birth of our Lord demonstrates that he is the spotless Lamb of God. Had he not been virgin born, then the cross would be vain, powerless, would have no meaning. The empty tomb would not be possible were it not for the virgin birth. But, had, but if there was no virgin birth, what that means also is that God is a liar. And we know that God is not a liar. We know it means that the Bible lied. And we know that the Bible hasn't lied, right? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, starting with verse 18. Because here's what the Bible says. And you know what, folks? I'm going to believe the Bible. I'm going to believe the Bible. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not 
to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So God's word is very clear. Look at Luke. Turn with me to Luke. Verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Verse 27. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Look at verse 34 of Luke chapter 1. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be? So I know not. So God's word is very clear. Mary was a virgin. Mary had never had a sexual relationship with anyone. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, tells us that what took place in Matthew 1 and Luke 1 found its fulfillment in Luke 2, verse 7, and she brought forth her firstborn son. This virgin brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, folks, I know pastors. I've talked with pastors who will tell you that the virgin birth, well, that didn't happen because that's not possible. Well, what I tell them is they need to understand what Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says. What does Luke chapter 1 verse 37 says? It says, for with God all things are possible. There's absolutely nothing that's impossible to God. The one who called everything into existence, who said, let there be light, who created, who sustains... Nothing is impossible to him, including this woman having a child conceived by the Holy Spirit. For without that, there would be no one qualified to be the sacrifice that you and I needed to pay the debt that we owed. The tomb the empty tomb would have no meaning. The cross would be meaningless unless Christ was exactly who the scriptures claim him to be, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. But how can that be? Well, we're going to look at that in just a second. But before we look at that, I want you to, to imagine something with me for just a few moments. I want you to imagine heaven. When we talk about heaven, when we describe heaven, we describe it as being wonderful, don't we? We describe it as being glorious. We describe it as being beautiful. We describe it as being beyond our finite imaginations. We can't begin to imagine all the glories and wonders and splendors of heaven. It's thrilling to think about going to heaven when God calls us home. 
And we get to spend eternity there, those who, who, by faith, have trusted in the finished work of Christ. We're going to heaven. We get to spend eternity there. How glorious that's going to be. We can get giddy. We can get excited. We can get thrilled over the prospects of going to heaven. But imagine with me the reverse. Imagine the reverse. Imagine leaving heaven and coming to earth, leaving heaven where you are worshipped, where you are adored, and coming here where you're going to be despised, where you're going to be rejected, where you're going to be cruelly treated. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 tells us that, that Christ was equal with God, but He was willing to lay aside that glory, that splendor, and make of Himself no reputation in order to die for the sins of mankind. He set that glory aside And he came to earth. And folks, you need to understand, he didn't just come to earth. That would have been pretty impressive, wouldn't it? Can you imagine if God all of a sudden showed up at this time on earth and said, I have come to straighten you sinners out. You better get your act together. I have had enough. That would have gotten people's attention. And then you could have gone back into heaven. But you know what? Man would have still been lost. For the wages of sin is death. And what it was going to make, what it was going to take is that one who was sinless, who was spotless, who was willing to be that sacrifice in order to pay the debt that we owed. So God Himself, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, lowered Himself in order to pay that debt. And He didn't just lower Himself. He was born of a woman. Hebrews 2.9 says that he lowered himself below the angels even. He lowered himself below his creation. To me, that is mind-boggling. You talk about sacrificial beyond the realm of humility and takes us to the realm of humiliation. It's what Christ Jesus suffered on our behalf. The humiliation that he endures, the humiliation that he suffered, takes on immeasurable significance and worth in light of who he is. The God of all creation. When you stop and think of the Creator submitting himself to the creation in order to purchase its redemption, causes me to want to fall upon my face and praise His holy name. What a God we serve. What a God we have who loves us. God becoming a man through the birth process, fulfilling that prophecy that had taken place in Genesis 3.15. When this Savior was promised way back in in the garden. Jesus of Nazareth growing up, being dependent, being weak, being hungry, 
being thirsty, experiencing pain. See, and that's the thing that gets me. This, this is God. He's the one who created the body. He knew what was going to take place. And I know I've shared this before, but I still stand in amazement when I think about He created the body. He could have created this body so that the exact spot where they drove the nails, there were going to be no pain sensors. The place they were going to plant the the crown of thorns, there's not going to be any feeling up there. The place they were going to stab him with the spear, why, he knew the exact spot, and well, there were going to be no nerves right there. But he didn't. He experienced it all, all the grief, all the sadness. You know, you read the scripture, you know, in John eleven thirty five, when it says, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, and people read through that as if, oh, no, Jesus wept. Let the full impact of that emotion stagger you. This is God himself with the emotion that overflowed. That the God of all creation wept. He suffered death at the hands of cruel and hateful man. He suffered their rejection. He had the praise and adoration of, and worship of angels, and he willfully exchanged that for the rejection and death. That the Son of God became the Son of Man in order that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Oh, folks, let the full ramification of that truth sink in. He was willing to become like us in order that we might become like Him. What an exchange! How that demonstrate that God loves us before we ever loved Him. Amen. So how did that happen? Well, that's why I want us to look into the significance of the virgin birth. Turn with me to Isaiah. As we said a while ago, God's Word tells us that He was going to be born of a virgin. So if this didn't happen, then this book is a lie. And I know it not to be a lie. But Isaiah chapter, chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. The verses in Matthew a while ago told us that that was fulfilled. Oh, and by the way, Isaiah 9, 6, in case you're wondering what's going to happen in the future, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 also says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And folks, just as surely as he came the first time, he's coming again the second time. He's going to establish his his kingdom on earth. Prior to that, church, he calls us to heaven. 
his body he calls up to meet him in the air where we will ever be with the Lord. What a glorious truth we have in that. It was prophesied and the scriptures proclaim it to be so. So if you reject, you reject the virgin birth, what you are doing is rejecting the scriptures. If you reject the virgin birth, you're not saved. You're not saved. It is rejecting the virgin birth is just as bad as rejecting the bodily resurrection. Those people who say that Christ didn't rise from the grave, that he was just a good teacher, that he was just a man who got caught up in the emotions of the day, in the laws of the day, and he was a great martyr, but he wasn't resurrected. Those who say that, who deny that he was resurrected, Jesus Christ does not live in their heart. They are not saved. You want know, a fact? Look at 1 John 7. I mean, 1 John 4. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. You want to know if someone is saved or not? Here's a pretty good t- test. 1 John 4. Hereby know you the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. See, that baby born in the manger is so much more than just a pretty nativity scene. And not as more than just what we are over. What the nativity scene says is God saying, My word is true. That babe in the manger is telling us nothing is impossible with God. What it tells us when you see the nativity scene, you need to understand that God is saying, I came into the world to save sinners. It speaks to you of God's matchless grace and His love and His desire to save you to the uttermost. That's what the nativity scene tells us. It blares, God's word is true. God's word is true. That God himself became a man wrapped in human flesh. He is God incarnate, Emmanuel. John 1 verse 14 tells us that the word was made, and this is important, that the word was made flesh. What God's word says. 1 Timothy 3.16 tells us that that he was manifest in the flesh. Romans 8, 3, that he came in the likeness of sinful flesh, not sinful flesh, but in the likeness of sinful flesh. He's God incarnate, but he wasn't sinful. He was without sin, because if he sinned, then he was not qualified to be the sacrificial lamb. He was not qualified for pay, to pay the debt 
that I owed. But more importantly, there would have been no resurrection. The wages of sin is death. Sin tells us that there's a cost. But see, the grave couldn't hold him. Death had no claim to him. He was sinless. So up from the grave, he arose. He wasn't sinful. He was without sin. So what does this tell us? He came in the flesh. He was manifest in the flesh. Well, it tells us that it isn't the flesh that contaminates Adam's race. It's not the flesh that contaminates. What is it then that is passed on from Adam that we all inherit that causes us to sin? Some of us more than others, but it still causes us to sin. That causes man to inherit this lost and sinful condition. Well, we know it's not flesh that transmits the sin because Christ came in, in the flesh. And the point to understanding this truth is to understand the importance of the virgin birth, the conception by the Holy Spirit. The life of the flesh we find from the Scripture. The life of the flesh is where? In the blood. In the blood. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, verse 14, tells us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I am thoroughly convinced that when Adam sinned, when he willfully disobeyed God, and the fall took place, that the change that took place was in the dynamics of the blood of Adam. That it's the blood that is tainted. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. I am convinced that it is the blood, the life of the flesh that is tainted. The, God's Word says that flesh and blood will not enter the kingdom of heaven, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty tells us, that flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. But Christ's body was flesh and bone, right? Flesh and bone. He even told Thomas, hey, stick your finger in my nail prints. Look here where the, the, pier, the, the spear pierced my side. See, he was, Christ was flesh and he was bone after the resurrection. And God's word tells us in Philippians that we're going to receive a body, a resurrected body, just like his. What was different about Christ's body was the blood that flowed through his veins. And how was that, how was that blood different from our blood? It was the Father. Who was the Father? It was the Holy Spirit that came upon Mary that caused her to become pregnant. That which tainted, that which corrupted, 
is passed on through the Father, science tells us. At least the element that provides to the re- that he provides to the reproductive process. But what you need to understand is not a single drop of blood passes from the mother to the baby. Not a single drop of blood passes from the mother to the baby. Actually, neither the father. The baby's blood is its own, but it's the father that provides the source that generates life. The egg can't do it alone. But what the male contributes is that source that causes the circulatory system to, to develop and the blood to develop from that source that the father provides. But the oxygen, the nutrients, everything that the baby needs is supplied by the mother through the umbilical cord to the placenta and it's absorbed osmosis and waste comes from the, out of the child through the placenta. Uh, but never, never is a child's blood and the mother's blood commingled. It is the father's, the father that introduces that source in the reproductive system that causes the circulatory system and the blood to be able to develop. And Christ's Father was the Holy Spirit Himself. I'm no doctor. But let me encourage you to pick up Martin R. DeHaan's book, The Chemistry of the Blood. If you ever Just Google it. It's almost, sometimes it's out of print, but it's not always. Uh, Google that. Martin R. DeHaan's The Chemistry of the Blood. He goes into great detail, and it is just wonderful to read. It's exciting to know. So, folks, when the Scripture, Romans 3.25, look at Romans 3.25. So when you read this, you need to think about Christmas. Think about Christmas when you read Romans 3.25. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, See, now do you realize the importance of making sure you understand that it's His blood? Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood. Couldn't be a good man's blood, some, a martyr's blood, somebody who was willing to try to save you. It could only have taken place, your salvation, through His blood. The virgin birth was absolutely necessary. Or the, Actually, it wasn't the birth. The birth was pretty natural. It was the conception. Conception. That was the real miracle. The birth was a normal... We speak of the virgin birth, but what we really mean was the miraculous, the wonderful, the glorious conception when Mary became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 7. Ephesians 1, 7. In whom we have redemption through His blood. Through His blood. Underline it. Mark it. 
Make sure you, under, you understand the significance of His blood because no one else's blood could have paid the debt you owed. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Jesus Christ was the sinless Lamb of God sent in order to pay the debt that I owed. No human blood was involved in his miraculous birth. So when Christ says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, now you understand why. No man comes to the Father but by me, because he and he alone was the one who was capable of paying that sin debt that we owed. Does that make sense? Does that cause you to be excited about that relationship you have with the one who loves you so very much? Look at 1 Peter in closing this morning. 1 Peter. Chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He and He alone is the Savior. It's why God's Word can tell us that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is only through Christ Jesus. That's why I don't apologize when I tell people that only through Christ can they be saved. And they'll say, well, that's just not very tolerant. Why, that's just not very nice of you to think that other gods can't save. Other gods can't. I'll tell you what being unloving is. Being unloving would be agreeing with them and say, well, you're right. You just follow your God and everything. All roads lead to God. I'll tell you what, the God of the Bible didn't come up with that. The God of this world did. That's the one who came up with that lie. He and He alone can save us. He and He alone was virgin born. 100% human, 100% divine. He and He alone, by the way, has two natures. See, don't fall into the trap of believing that we have two natures. We only have one nature, folks. That's the human nature. Jesus Christ had two natures. He was 100% human, 100% God. We have two things that we deal with. We have the flesh and we have the spirit, and they war against one another. But when it comes to natures, only God in Christ has two natures. It's because of the virgin birth and how important it is. For those who say he was simply a good teacher, he was simply a good example. Well, I stand here this morning telling you I don't need a good example. I need a Savior. I don't need someone who was a great teacher. 
I need someone who could make me a new creation. And the only one that qualifies is Jesus of Nazareth. He was born of a virgin. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. In order that he would be the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Who could die on a cross for my sins. And pay the debt of sin that I owed, that you owed. And the grave could not keep him because it had no claim on him. So the power of God could resurrect him. You realize that the power of God could not have resurrected him had he been a sinner. Christ never sinned. What a plan of salvation. What extreme measures to go in order to buy my redemption. And I love him and desire to serve him because of that. And this morning, if you've never by faith trusted in the one who can save you, who will save you, let me encourage you to do that. If by faith you've never trusted Christ Jesus as your Savior, if you've never believed that he died for you, if you've never believed that he was buried for you, if you've never believed that he rose from the dead for you, this invitation is for you. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will move on your heart this very moment that will convict you that you are a sinner, will convict you that you need saving, and you will understand what God's Word says, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And by faith, you will believe. It's all you have to do. There's no work involved There are no deeds you have to try to accomplish. There's no way that you can earn it. There's absolutely no way that you can make God love you more by the works you try to do. You can't earn your way into heaven. The debt's already been paid. The way has already been made. And that's through Jesus Christ. God's word says, believe on him. Thou shalt be saved. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning and how we thank you for this plan of salvation. Father, we thank you for that babe in the manger. Father, we thank you for how he grew up to be the Christ that hung on the cross. Father, we're thankful that the blood that flowed from the cross was pure and spotless. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to go to such an extreme in order to purchase that our redemption and make us new creations in Christ. And Father, I do pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never by faith trusted you, Father, they'll settle that all-important issue this very moment. By faith, believe. And then, Father, by faith, serve. Realize that they're not their own any longer, that they've been bought with a price And Father, their their heart's desire will be to serve you. Understanding that we are created unto good works. We're saved by your grace. Father, we're created to serve. And we thank you for the joy and the privilege of being able to be soldiers of God. Soldiers of the cross. Ministers of the word of reconciliation. Ambassadors, Father, May we be that willing and effective ambassador 
laborers together with you, Father, all the days of our lives. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.